When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Great Pyramid of Giza, that was the tallest building in the world for something like 4,000 years, maybe more than 4,000 years, and then it was pipped by Lincoln Cathedral. Yes, I know. I love that fact too. That's my favourite yeah. fact of all time, and, I think. The spire of Lincoln Cathedral topped it only very slightly and then fell down about 100 years later, restoring the Great Pyramid <laughs> to, the, to the top. Hello and welcome to Patented, a podcast series all about the history of inventions brought to you courtesy from the fine folk at History Hit. I'm Dallas Campbell. Thank you for your company. Today, I'm going to be talking about an engineering mystery that has haunted minds for millennia, the pyramids, the pyramids of Egypt. Uh, I've been lucky enough to spend a bit of time in Egypt over the years making documentary programmes about the pyramids and other such things. So I feel I'm on home turf today. And my guest is actually the Egyptologist, broadcaster, writer and good friend of mine who, funnily enough, I actually met inside the Great Pyramid of Giza several years ago. It's Chris Norton. So get ready for a crash course in the history of pyramids, how they were built, the engineering miracle behind the pyramids, and of course, the insane conspiracy theories, love a conspiracy theory, that have flourished around them over the years. Welcome to the show, Chris Norton. Thanks, Dallas. Thank you very much for having me. Nice to be here. I met you in Egypt on a very, very hot day. And we met, actually, in a pyramid many years ago. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Making this a programme for the Nat Geo. Yeah, at Giza. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, if I remember rightly, that was June? It was really hot. Which is not a month you want to go to Egypt. No, in. and I think, because when we were doing that programme in at the Nat Geo that time, I remember Cairo, or we were at another pyramid, yep. the Step Pyramid, and it got up to f- over 50, or touched really? 50, maybe. Yeah. And it was, I remember at the time, we couldn't go outside, and we were confined to the air-conditioned bus with our lovely Egyptian fixers. Yeah. Mr. Magdi, who you know. Yes. For our listeners who've never been to Egypt, and for our listeners who've never been to the pyramids, we've never seen the pyramids. Take us inside the Great Pyramid at Giza, the famous one. Take us in. There's a hole that you go in. Just be our tour guide quickly. There is a hole that you go in. It's nice and cool inside. It depends, actually. So the hole that you go through is a robber's tunnel from some centuries ago. We're not exactly sure when. So you're going through a very roughly cut, slightly winding passageway until that eventually breaks into the original 
ancient ascending passageway, which is a small sloping passageway with now a kind of wooden walkway and handrails, but it's still very difficult. You have to bend over if you're more than about three and a half feet tall. And that takes you for something like 60 or so metres, I think, into the Grand Gallery, so-called, which is this incredible, enormous space almost in the centre of the pyramid with huge overlapping blocks of stone either side of you and above you. That ultimately takes you up to a short passageway, more crouching down, and then into a burial chamber, at which point you're in the very heart of the pyramid. Tricky getting Mm. up and down, often very busy. It can be quite nice and cool. It can be pretty warm, and it's pretty strenuous getting up there too. But a fantastic experience, of course. It really is. If you don't know, if you've never been inside the Great Pyramid, Khufu's Pyramid, do we call it Khufu's Pyramid or the Great Pyramid? What's the... Or used to be called Either of those. Either of those is good. It is is, uh, the Great Pyramid. Khufu is the Egyptian name of the pharaoh who built it. The Greeks called him Cheops. It's worth... If you haven't been inside it or don't know what the in, the sort of internal spaces of that pyramid is like, it's worth Googling them and having a look because the Grand Gallery, as Chris mentioned, it's an extraordinary structure. It, there's something odd about it. When you go in, just the, the sort of corbel stones and the height of it is all very... The sort of perspective of it does odd things to your brain. And actually, when you go inside the king's chamber, the actual burial chamber inside, and the tomb is still there, it feels really modern. It's like a kind of something like you'd get at the ICA or something. It's like this kind of black perfect cube feels quite modern it's very austere isn't it i think if you're in egypt and expecting to see lots of brightly decorated interiors yeah, and that. loads of hieroglyphs then you well you wouldn't be disappointed it's just a very different experience yeah it's just huge monolithic massive stones and this great enigma of what you know what it's all for because there's, yeah. there's very little to sort of guide you in that except a sarcophagus in the back there's a sort, of, a, a sort of chipped sarcophagus i was very lucky mm. actually above the king's chamber there are some secret relieving chambers which is the engineering bit i suppose of the pyramid to stop the whole thing collapsing and whenever it was in the early 1900s someone had dynamited their way through to those relieving chambers and they're all filled with graffiti and i, I made it up to the very top chamber there which I think is called Campbell's Chamber. It's got it the word is Campbell. indeed, yeah. Uh, I, have some, I have some photos of it. And actually, right in the corner, with all the graffiti, modern graffiti that's up there from the First World War and stuff, there is a cartouche of the, I think the people who, or the engineers or somebody who was actually building the pyramid, that pyramid. Yes, you're exactly right. When I was just um, thinking all of this through before our session today, I was reminding myself that top chamber if it's not quite named after you, it, 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 you know, it has it should be. I think that's what people should think. Yes, Campbell's yeah. Chamber, um, but also that you've been in, which I, I haven't. Have. I don't um, think you can go. And in I hardly anymore. know anybody who has Dallas. No, so it is an amazing place. It it is amazing. It is very. And you mentioned actually that cartouche is is very very important and has attracted an awful lot of attention because the pyramid, as indeed pyramids of this age were in all cases, is not decorated. No. That doesn't come in until slightly later. And so for anybody who wants to be all conspiracy theorists about the age of the pyramids and to think of them as being actually nothing to do with the ancient Egypt that we know, but to do with some kind of older, more mysterious civilization, then the fact that there's no or very little by way of inscriptions inside the Great Pyramid is a kind of open door. But there is this graffito, as you say, which gives the name, it seems to be the name mm. of the gang of workmen who were involved in this part of the construction of the pyramid. And that includes Khufu's name. 
There we go. And so that's how... And so just for context, when was the Great Pyramid, the sort of, what should we consider, the pinnacle uh, pyramid building? It, very approximately around sort of 2700 BC. Um, okay. We can't be absolutely sure about the dates of the reigns of kings going that far back. So mm. depending on which bit of counting you do or which set of radiocarbon dates you want to follow. And, you know, r- roughly about 2700, 2800 BC, something like that. So we're, we're talking the best part of 5,000 years ago um, that this incredible thing was built. Man, it's that's old. And actually, the, yeah. I, I, this, my worry is here, there's so much to talk about. So I pulled out a few books from my bookcase on pyramids. I have a few. I've got uh, Mark Lerner's Complete Pyramid. That Excellent. One. That's still the starting point for us all. Probably needs a bit of revision now, but hopefully that will be coming. Probably, but that's a good one for people. So that's we get because we're going to talk a little bit about science and stuff. So we're going to. I might pull that out. I've also got this book, which is another favorite of mine, Nina Burley's Mirage, which is about Napoleon. Oh yes, the pyramids and the kind yep. of first sort of science as we might recognize science, the beginnings of Egyptology, which yep. is also very good. And just for good measure. Mm-hmm. Eric von Daniken. Excellent. <laughs> Chariot of the Gods. <laughs> just, for, just, just for a bit of... Because uh, I like a conspiracy theory, as you know. I th- yeah, um, I, yeah, I know you do. I mean, obviously, I'm not allowed to know anything about Eric von Daniken and those okay. ideas, so I'll leave that stuff to you. I'm looking forward to our chat on that. We will. We're gonna, we'll are gonna. we come on to that. We'll, act three, we'll talk about Eric von Daniken. Okay, so the 5,000-year-old pyramids. So when we think of the pyramids, we think of the Giza Plateau in Egypt, those three pyramids, the biggest of which, the one we were just talking about, Khufu's Pyramid. Without any context, they kind of don't really make sense. People always think of the pyramids without thinking there were sort of pyramids before those pyramids. First of all, question one, why build a pyramid at all? What is a pyramid? What is it for? What is the point? Well, context is is all important, I think, to the answer to that question, because pyramids, although this is something that the conspiracy theorists would sometimes contest as well, pyramids were tombs. The ones that we think of, the most famous ones, were the tombs of kings. So for a period of a few centuries, a little bit before and after the time of Khufu, it was Duriger, one or two exceptions, for the king to be buried beneath or within a pyramid. Prior to this, kings were buried not in pyramids, but in very, very large monumental structures, which Egyptologists call mastabas. Mastaba is an Arabic word, and it means something like a bench, and it's the word that's used for the actual benches or sort of rectangular kind of slabs of mud that sit in front of Mm -hmm. people's houses in Egypt, the kind of place where you would sit and while the day away, receive visitors, you know, wave at people. So you die and rather than bury them underground, you bury them in this mastaba. Well, so as I say, the mastabas and pyramids either overlie burials. So in the most straightforward uh, sort of arrangement, you would first of all dig essentially a a hole in the ground. Mm Mm-hmm. And those holes in the ground can be very elaborate. They can, they can be nothing more than a shallow pit. Mm-hmm. And the very earliest tombs are indeed like that. They can be rather more elaborate, larger holes, sometimes you know fortified with stone walls, etc., etc. The Then the mastaba would be built over the top of that. In some cases, however, this is, requires much more sophisticated design and construction and engineering. You can construct burial chambers, chambers within the structure of the... Mastaba, this great sort of oblong platform, mm-hmm. or indeed inside a pyramid. But as I say, that's much, much trickier, much harder to achieve. So back in the early days, early pyramid, before well, before pyramid building, bodies underground, and then as we go through time, bodies come up, and as the engineering gets better, the body becomes 
situated within the structure rather than under the ground? Broadly speaking, yes. So particularly, that is the story of pyramids. You're so diplomatic. I like it when you say broadly speaking. <laughs> well, it's just... <laughs> not like, like everything, it's more complicated than that. I have, <laughs> I, yeah, well, exactly. Yes, exactly. And and to save you from me now no. going on for sort of two hours about all the exceptions to that, it's much easier to say That's yes, what I mean. Exactly. Mark Lerner's book is thick. Yeah. And there is, there is much, much history written on this subject. So I appreciate this is a bit of a thumbnail. OK, why a pyramid? Why not a cube? Why not a octagon why not a great why square why pyramid well various idea very just different ideas and we don't know because we, we don't have anything like a text that the egyptians set down and said and when and then lo one day did pharaoh decree that he should be buried in a pyramid because mm. so pyramids seem to have evolved out out of these mustabas and in fact at a certain point at the beginning of the third dynasty somebody decides that rather than just have one oblong platform they're going to put another one on top mm. and another one another one, another one, each one slightly smaller than the previous one, eventually creating a kind of steps arrangement, which looks a bit like a pyramid just with steps on the side. So it could just be that, you know, that was a nice way of building something a bit bigger and grander. There's also possibly this idea of Pharaoh reaching up towards the sky. We know that a part of the Egyptians' belief in what happens to you after death is that you journey to the stars to kind of commune with the gods up there. So perhaps it's to do with reaching up. There's also, I rather like the suggestion that the Egyptians observed the sun breaking through the clouds. You, you know when that happens, the sun's rays sometimes, if conditions are right, the sun's rays mm-hmm. create this kind of lovely sort of a partial triangular shape as the yeah. rays break through different parts of the cloud cover. And, you know, if they saw that or saw a particularly sort of perfect version of that, they would have been looking at something that looks a bit like a pyramid and perhaps that inspired them. Oh, that's interesting. I'd never heard that before. I, I kind of wondered, actually, and you, you will have gone out to, I think it's the White Desert in, in, in Egypt, which is this amazing desert. And there are these great limestone shapes, natural shapes, which look a little bit like pyramids and which look a little bit like sphinxes. And, and you look at these shapes and you can imagine all kinds of things. And I wonder how much the sort of the natural vistas of Egypt would have influenced um, design or ideas, shapes, that kind of thing. I think certainly, again, the context is all important. I mean, pyramids also, another factor here is that pyramids are located in the desert. So away from the Nile Valley, where you have the river surrounded on both sides by cultivable land, mm. farmland. But then also towns and cities, and particularly crucial here is the capital city of Memphis. The cemeteries, including Giza and Saqqara, where the first pyramid is built, are on the desert above those cities. In the case of Saqqara, they're quite Mm. high above them. It it seems that part of what the pharaohs and other people who are being buried in big tombs are trying to achieve is something that's very visible from the city. Look at me, look at how amazing and grand I was. So a big, tall pyramid is that bit much more visible from the Nile Valley, from down below, than a, a mud brick platform. Okay, so we think probably a status thing. Look at me, look at me, look at me. I mean, actually, when you say that, I think of, I was in Dubai the other day, I think of the Burj Khalifa, which is, <laughs> look at me, look at me, look at me, in the middle of the desert, and it's kind of a pyramid. <laughs> yeah. It was funny, actually, because the Great Pyramid of Giza, that was the tallest building in the world for something like 4,000 years, maybe more than 4,000 years, and then it was pipped by Lincoln Cathedral. Yes, I know, I love that fact, too. You, it, that's my favourite yeah. fact of all time, and I think. The spire of Lincoln Cathedral topped it only very slightly and then fell down about 100 years later, restoring the Great Pyramid <laughs> to, the, to the top. 
But it's weird. It's, but the, the fact that it remained the highest building in the world for so long, given that, you know, certainly in our lifetime, the highest building record has been, you know, broken many, many, many times in a single lifetime. We'll get on to sort of tech, building techniques and, and such. You mentioned, actually, this is a good place to start, really. Saqqara, you mentioned Saqqara. You mentioned the first pyramid. This is where we should start, I, I always think, when we, when we discuss pyramids, certainly in Egypt. Saqqara, what we call the step pyramid, that we call that Pyramid One? Yeah, yeah. Probably isn't, but maybe it is. Tell us about that one. No, I think it is. It's the place of burial of Pharaoh Djoser, who I think we all agree was the first king of the Third Dynasty. Djoser with a D. D-J-O-S-E-R, usually. You sometimes see it written with a Z, Zoser. Which, like Djokovic. Uh, yeah, exactly. So Djoser is the builder of this first pyramid, or rather the highest official at his court, a man called Imhotep, made famous by the mummy films, although the bad guy of those um, Hollywood mummy films isn't sort of supposed to be one and the same character. It's just borrowing the name. The Imhotep was a high official at the court of Djoser and later on came to be revered as a kind of folk hero and later even as a god. And the legend is that he was the inventor of construction in hewn stone, Nice. And therefore, although the ancient sources don't explicitly say he was the builder of the pyramid, that's the strong implication. He lived during that time. And hey, presto, you know, we have the first, not only pyramid, I should say, the first monumental building in stone, more or less from anywhere in the world. I'm sure there are competing claims mm -hmm. there, but it is certainly one of the, and on a very great scale, you know, it's much larger than anything built in Egypt before. So there we go. The step pyramid, Saqqara, Jossa. We can, can we, we can sort of, if we're going to credit someone, can we credit him for the inventing pyramids? Yes, Imhotep is the man who has that uh, Imhotep. That, that reputation. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So he was doing that, but so hang on, Imhotep, but Jossa was in the pyramid. He died and was buried in the pyramids. Yeah, so Jossa is the king. He's the man who dies there. Imhotep is the one who designs this fabulous monument for him. How old is that pyramid? If we're 5,000 years old, say, for the Great Pyramid at Giza, so just down the road in Saqqara, the Step Pyramid. Approximately a century or, or so before. Not very much long, uh, okay. long before. Possibly not even that. The Third Dynasty doesn't last very long. And one of the most staggering features of the whole story of the pyramids is that although there is an evolution to them, it all happens very, very quickly. So they get to the kind of zenith, which is the Great Pyramid at Giza, very, very quickly considering what an incredible achievement it is that's really and then pyramid building kind of stops and people get buried in tombs again i think the valley of the kings i mean i know i'm, I'm, I'm jumping quite along in big time frames but we don't see big pyramids being built after the great pyramid of giza do we no they no exactly that's the biggest so they get progressively smaller after that although you know having said that even the smallest as it were the ones that come in by the time of the fifth and sixth dynasties are still pretty substantial achievements mm. uh, there's then a hiatus in the first intermediate period when central authority collapses pharaoh's no longer able to command a mm. workforce etc and do these things then it returns in the middle kingdom then you're right by the time of tutankhamun ramesses nefertiti and co they've decided to abandon this whole pyramid idea completely and in favor of hidden tombs in a desert mountain wadi uh, the valley yeah. of the kings see that's quite interesting because you kind of move from like Look at me, I've built a massive pyramid. Everyone can see it from everywhere and it's awesome. To I'm hidden in a valley and no one, no one in a secret hiding place. Absolutely, it is a big change and we can't know this, but of course tomb robbery is about the oldest 
profession in the world after tomb construction and the other one. And presumably, you know, we think of tomb robbers, we think of Tutankhamun, well, which wasn't robbed, but all the tombs in the Valley of the Kings, etc. But the tombs in the pyramids were also robbed, weren't they? I mean, there was not, there's nothing, no one's found any, apart from you, didn't you uncover a tomb recently in a pyramid? Uh, well, yes, we yes we did, but that one seems to have been robbed as well. So scraps and bits and pieces it's, have been it's... found in these things, but very very little. So yes, they were robbed, mm. and it may well be actually that you know after a while, centuries and centuries of kings' tombs getting robbed repeatedly, it was decided that hey, look at me is maybe not the greatest way of of securing your grave goods and your burial. There's an in, that interesting evolution that, that you mentioned between the, the step pyramid, Imenhotep pyramid number one, through to Khufu's pyramid, the Great Pyramid we're all familiar with. They, I mean, they're pyramids, but they are very different. The step pyramid, by sort of definition of its name, is basically, like you say, just piles of stone on top of each other, creating a step up to a zenith. And then we see this really quite sophisticated engineering in the Great Pyramid and other pyramids where, and even though the Great Pyramid now is steps, it did used to have limestone facing, didn't it? So it was all, it would have been smooth and beautiful on the outside. And that's all, I guess, got a lot of that limestone got nicked. Yes, exactly. Yes. And then they're all cut so finely that once all of those outer stones are together, you'd hardly see the joints. You'd just see this one great, bright, probably dazzling white surface with apparently no joins in it a bit like the one in las vegas yeah so, <laughs> so you know eventually <laughs> somebody got it right we'll be back after this short break hello i'm james rogers and over on the history hit warfare podcast i bring you cutting edge military histories from around the world why was sitting bull such a remarkable leader what was napoleon's greatest ever battle How did the Cuban Missile Crisis almost turn the Cold War hot? And who dropped the world's largest nuclear bomb on the Arctic? Through interviews with world-leading historians, policy experts, and the veterans who served, we find the answers to these questions and so much more. So come and join us on the History Hit Warfare podcast, where we're on the front lines of military history. 
up to 100 years, the Great Pyramid of, of Khufu. We see definite changes in the way that pyramids have been engineered, so a step pyramid to start with. But along the route, there's some odd ones, things like the Bent Pyramid, which always used to trouble me. If we kind of call that halfway, take us through something like the Bent Pyramid. What's going on there? Well, it, it seems that at a certain point around the end of the Third Dynasty, beginning of the Fourth, I should say during the Third, we only seem to have two pyramids, actually. We, our evidence for burials of uh, the kings of this period was very thin on the ground, full stop. It seems at least one other pyramid was started, but then it was never finished. So we can't really say very much about what they were trying to do then. But by the time of a king called Sneferu, the beginning of the Fourth Dynasty, the ambition seems to have been to create a true-sided pyramid rather than the steps you were talking about before. And Sneferu is credited with three very large pyramids, one at the site of Meidum, which now looks like a, a sort of weird, very, very tall pyramid of a couple of steps, there were more, with then the collapse of its outer faces yes. around the bottom like a kind of skirt. So that one went wrong. He then has two more, both of them at uh, slightly further north called Dashur, one of which has, as you say, the name the Bent Pyramid, because the angle of incline on the outside changes about two thirds of the way up. So it starts off from the bottom as a very, very steep straight sided pyramid. And then there's a kind of change in that angle as if they said, oh God, guys, look, it's gonna to be too tall. Uh, we better flatten this off a bit. It looks a bit wonky. Having said that, it is enormous, but it is still one of the biggest. It was finished. It's has chambers which are internal to the structure of the pyramid rather than being underneath. Mm. And as we've already seen, that's much, much harder to achieve than having your chambers underneath for the simple reason that if you create a pyramid with big empty spaces in the middle of it, the sheer weight of all the stone around yes. it gives you the problem that those spaces might collapse. And then if, if that happens, then of course the whole thing is just going to become a pile of stones. Well, actually, that one that you said already had collapsed. I mean, th there seems to be, when we look at the sort of evolution of pyramids, things that just, like all evolution, things that just look a bit odd while they're, while they're figuring it out. Yes. And I have to say, like the Bent Pyramid, it's worth a Google. If you Google Bent Pyramid, you, you'll, you'll see what we mean. If I was the king and someone said, we've finished your pyramid... And I'd be like, great, how's it looking? And then they're like, uh, yeah, it looks, it's different. And I saw it, I'd be, I'd be cheesed off, I think. I'd be, well, I'd look at it and go, eh, it's kind of cool, but it's not exactly what I wanted. I know Sneferu clearly was not that guy who just is kind of relaxed and, you know, pretty laid back about these things, doesn't really mind. Mm. Because having built a pyramid at Maidum, which, you know, not so huge, but still would have taken a long time, a lot mm. of people, a lot of stone. Mm -hmm. The Bent Pyramid, even more so, as you say, clearly not what he wanted. No. He then builds another one, the Red Pyramid, for the reddish colour of the limestone mm. that was used for the construction of that pyramid. That's his big moment. He or his team, rather, achieve a true-sided pyramid with internal chambers. It's the second largest by volume of any pyramid. And then at that point, we're sort of there. They've achieved what they want to do. And Khufu's great achievement, in fact, is just to do the set more or less the same thing, just slightly bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he gets all the plaudits, but actually Sneferu is the one who was hammering away. There's a bit of um, there's a bit of willy waving, I think, when it comes to pyramid building. Well, Pharaoh is probably the the greatest willy waver in history. 
And that's part of his job, I think. You know, if you're going to try and build a coherent society where everybody gets kind of looked after, this is a very sort of positive way of looking at it. Everybody gets looked after and, you know, and you're able to achieve great things like huge buildings, then you've kind of got to have somebody at the top who just gets to do whatever they want and tell everybody what to do. Well, that's a really interesting point. I mean, thinking of our recent history, people, I've heard things like people say, oh, well, the Apollo program was our equivalent of building the pyramids because it was such a kind of, well, slightly political and also technologically incredibly difficult thing to do. Is that a fair comparison, do you think, in terms of politics, maybe, or status? I mean, obviously, they have different meanings. but I think so. I mean, you would know the Apollo program, obviously, far better than I would. But I, what I would say is that what you've got there is politics and You've got to have people's buy-in still. You know, if that was a massively unpopular programme, if the whole of the electorate in America said, no, we don't want space, we, you know, we need mm. better sewage systems or better schools or something, then, then it could never have happened. Whereas if you've got a kind of myth of nation, you know, America is the, is the great nation of the 20th century and we are going to do this because we are the great pioneers and you should buy into this. And then, you know, if you've got the buy-in of your electorate, because of a kind of myth yeah. of a nation, America being so great, then yeah, people will go for it. And I think this, in that, there is something similar. You know, the Egyptian people are bought into this idea that Pharaoh is great and a god, and greater than anybody. And and uh, you know, and, and therefore, what else are we going to do other than support his project to build the biggest thing of all time? Well, yeah, you're. I mean, you're right. I mean, something like four hundred thousand people worked on Apollo. There was a lot of political backlash to Apollo, you know. So there was all kinds of things, but they did it. Which brings me to the big question, which kind of segues me into Eric von Daniken. Why is there so much aliens built the pyramids? Why is there? I mean, first of all, tell us how the pyramids were built in in broad brushstrokes, if if you will. Like, what was it? Slave labor? Was it aliens? Just put us put. You know, what was the? You hear so there's so much nonsense talked about it. So. Yeah, we now know much better than we did, say, 30 or 40 years ago about the workforce who constructed the pyramids, thanks to the archaeological investigation of the town and associated infrastructure where those people were living. And we can tell from that that actually they were well looked after, healthy people, you know, with a good diet and, and blah, blah. So it, it seems that no, that that idea that the only way Ferry could achieve this was by strong arming a labour force against their will into doing this is now discredited. Mm -hmm. It is that that situation in which you've got people genuinely bought into a vision of doing something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sure they weren't all happy as Larry every single day, but but they weren't slaves either. There are still big question marks, however, about exactly how the whole thing was achieved. So, for example, how you manoeuvre these enormous stone blocks into position, how you manoeuvre them into a position which is so precise and mm. so accurate, not just that the thing will stand up and, you know, not turn into just a big mess of stones, but so accurate that the right angles at the four corners of the base of the Great Pyramid are more accurate than the right angles at the base of an average house. And they're fantastically well aligned, I'm sure you, you know, to one another and to true north. So th there was all this you know, great precision. And we, we can only really infer how they did this. How did they move those stones? How did they get them into position? How did they cut those stones, mm. given that they only had copper at this point they had no iron they had no harder metals than than copper how did they do all this and again for much of what we know about ancient egypt we have a text or texts that more or less tell us you know what they were thinking or how they did this we don't have any of that really for pyramid construction so we can only infer things 
And so back to your question about, you know, why there are all these conspiracy theories and why some people like to think that maybe it was aliens is that we can't provide definitive answers. So the door is kind of ajar. And, you know, and I think pyramids are so sort of weird in some way. You know, they're so monumental. They're just massive triangles. Why would anybody build a massive triangle? Mm. We can't really explain the why, at least not satisfactorily for for people who want to look for something more from history. And we also can't really explain how. There's a little yeah. bit of fertile <laughs> ground for theories. That's it. I mean, that's kind of how conspiracy theories thrive. It's like, oh, well, if science doesn't know, it must be magic man done it (laughs) (laughs) or or aliens. I think that's a good place to pause. There's so much good books on the sciences type. And I I sort of, I point you, I point you, I'm talking to the listeners. The story of Petrie, Flinders Petrie is really interesting. Just very briefly, and we might pause there, explain who Petrie was and why he was significant. Petrie was a more or less kind of self-taught he became an archaeologist um but he began working in egypt and for for a short period before that in the uk he was english at a time when there wasn't really any such thing as archaeology in the form that we would recognize it and it was just nicking stuff back in those days digging stuff up and kind of digging up pretty things and putting them in museum cases and or in your living room or whatever petrie's sort of initial great genius was in recognizing that there was very much more to learn about life in the ancient past if there was a way of gathering information and documenting it and studying it. And so he was more or less the first person to recognise that there's so much more than just digging up pretty things, but also invents a whole swathe of techniques for recovering material, documenting material, analysing material. And he's at the very beginning of, therefore, of kind of scientific archaeology in, in Egypt he trained up the next generation of excavators and really transformed the way that the archaeology was done. Yes, I mean, he. it's fair to say that he, when we think, well, certainly when I think of Egyptology, I, my sort of ground zero really is, is Petrie, really. No, know? I think that's yeah. fair. It is a sort of, there's very much a kind of before and after to Petrie. And his first work was at Giza, where he's there really, actually not to excavate, but to measure the pyramids, which might sound mm-hmm. like a fairly straightforward thing you know what do you need a tape measure but um but actually you know massively tricky thing to do when you're talking about uh, you know diff- slightly difficult landscape and absolutely yeah. enormous and not entirely brilliantly well preserved ancient mm. things it's one of my favorite things that i'm most proud of actually that i helped measure the pyramids we did it with lidar and <laughs> you know we did this incredible yeah, LIDAR yeah, yeah, measurement yeah. of the internal spaces and the, and the external of the pyramids and it's uh yeah it's still like wow that's pretty cool yeah, well, absolutely, and, and I say the, me, I didn't do it. There's, there were people. I was there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you were you were the, the, the front man for for all of this, but still, no. But I mean, it, I think that speaks to firstly just what an enormous wow it, they still are for yeah. their scale and complexity. Yeah. But also the fact that we at the time you did that, I mean, you weren't just going through the motions, right? I mean, we did. We just didn't know. We didn't know. No one had done it before. Yeah, so. exactly. The, the sort of yeah. the size and the shape, the exact dimensions. Petrie literally did use triangulations and a tape measure and, you know, two seasons worth of tramping across the plateau. So there was an awful lot that he couldn't do. Mm. Yeah, and in that sense, I guess, just the sheer scale of these things still are kind of outstripping our ability to capture yeah. them. 
there is still lots of mystery, which I like. The, the pyramids will always be mysterious, which is part of their appeal. It's quite interesting how some portions of society turn to Eric von Daniken for uh, conspiracy theories <laughs> yeah. and aliens. I, can't, I don't understand how they were built, therefore it must have been aliens. But I, I prefer the kind of scientific thing, which is just it's more beautiful, it's more lovely, and the, the story of the science of, and the engineering of it. When I used to work at the, the Egypt Exploration Society, which I did for 16 years, we, we, of course, we got a lot of requests for information or, you know, I'd like some help with this or that. But there was a particular kind of phone call or letter or whatever that we would get frequently, which was not just the, about the pyramids and how they were built, but it had a very particular kind of character to it as well. And it was to do with this sort of secrecy. So usually the person wasn't wanting to ask questions, but rather they had figured it out mm -hmm. and they wanted to let us know what it is they figured it out but they couldn't tell us they couldn't Basically, tell us because it's well, secret yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> over and over again we get on oh, no kidding and so to the point where after a while you sort of want to say you know without being too impolite we get one of these at least every week we really do so i'm sorry i'm not I'm, sorry, I'm not going to meet you if that's all right <laughs> you know send me send me your theory on a piece of paper but um the interesting thing, I think, is wherever, whatever branch of science you're involved in, and I count archaeology in this, there is a, a companion conspiracy theory to go with you. So if you are a physicist, you'll get letters about perpetual motion machines that somebody's invented. If you are a climate scientist, you will get climate conspiracy stuff, etc. Et if you're a planetary scientist, hollow earth, flat earth, da-da-da. That's just the way that we, we are drawn to... We are drawn to explanations of things, and uh, but one the thing that I'm interested in not once ever in the history of humanity has ever anything ever turned out to be magic, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ever not yet, once. Yet. And yet, <laughs> Chris, it's lovely to talk to you. I could talk to you all day. I've got a pile of books on my desk. Where I mentioned uh, Mark Leher and I mentioned the um, Nina Burley one, and I forgot your book. I've got it down here oh. in my bookshelf. You've written some fantastic books. I can't remember what number you're on to now. You're at the. Uh, if you count children's books, I'm on yeah. four. I suppose the two that I should mention would be Searching for the Lost Tombs of Egypt, which includes which a short excursus on pyramid design, actually. Because naturally, some of those tombs that we might still be looking for are ought to be pyramids. And I did a book called Egyptologist's Notebooks. And that, in fact, was about um, the history of Egyptology and investigation into such things as pyramids. It includes Napoleon's gang and Petrie and co. And lots of curious drawings of pyramids in the Sphinx. Go and read Chris's books, please. And also watch his documentaries, which are excellent if you need to know anything more about pyramids. But listen, thank you very much for joining me on the show. It was a brief... Thank you for having me. Brief one. Well, actually, it's not brief. It's been quite a long one. But I could, again, it's, um, it's one of those subjects that we could talk forever about, but we won't. But um, I'll see you soon. And thanks for joining me. That'd be great. Thanks, Dallas. Cheers. Okay, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. I hope that's inspired you to find out more about the pyramids. If you want more from our guests, by the way, if you want to hear more from Chris, who's excellent, and you're not already a subscriber to History Hits, why not? Then go and get yourself a subscription. You'll find a wonderful documentary Chris has made about Egyptology, along with thousands of hours of other amazing history docs. It's all up there and you will love it. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget, please leave a rating and a review. It helps others discover the show. Coming up in September, we've got a mini-series all about the invention of forensics which is really, really fascinating. Get in touch, by the way, if you've got more ideas you want me to cover. Ideas that 
you want me to find out about or maybe favourite stories of inventions that you'd like me to retell. Next week, we've got a real-life inventor on the show. It's Ben Jensen to talk about his invention, which is called Vanta Black, which is the blackest thing ever. It's the blackest black. Confused? I'll see you next time. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Folk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code patented at the checkout. You get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.